0: There's so much investment in healthcare right now. What is They now have to understand. They have to be involved, and they have to be engaged. Hello, and welcome to the RevTech RX podcast, powered by Streamline. I'm David Kozlowski. Today. We're at the HFMA Annual Conference, the last day that is, and we're going to be going over what the definition of good coding is and how do we get there. Alongside me, I've got two great experts, Jamshide Ubadi, who is a partner at Crow. Hey, Dave. Jamshide. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Happy to have you. And we've got Patrick Murphy, who is a senior vice president at TrueBridge. Thank
1: you. Looking forward to the discussion.
0: Thanks for coming. All right, guys. So I know you brought a lot of great information today. Not that you didn't, but uh, <laughs> I do want to touch on it first because you had a great definition. What would you say the definition of good coding is? So, uh,
1: over the years in medical coding, we've really come up with a a pretty good definition. And really, it's accurate and efficient assignment of diagnosis and procedure codes based on the thorough documentation provided by the providers. That paints a really good picture of the patient's stay at the facility, but ultimately leads to data analysis and then
0: accurate reimbursement.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Do you rebuttal? Or you? No, I couldn't agree <laughs> with you more. I think the, the thing that Pat stressed that's really important is the documentation, right? That is so critical in order to have the codes be accurate and have an efficient process in place. So uh, clear and well-documented process, procedures yeah. is really important for us, and we stress that quite a bit. Most so. definitely.
0: And I, and I know you have a pillar of success system in place. Uh, to get to that definition, can you break down what those are? And- sure. Absolutely. So we, we set up in our coding division the six
1: pillars of success. And it all starts with, and I'll walk through them step by step, and we can dig in a little deeper if we want to. You know, the first pillar is start with start with excellence. Hire the best people out there. The second one is laser focused performance reviews and continuous feedback to your coders. The third pillar is compliance. You're in this within the medical coding area. You really have to be top top notch with your compliance programs. The fourth pillar is your communication, both internally within your coders, but also externally to your providers. The fifth one is partners. We can't do it alone. You've got to find accurate partners and, and partners you can trust from technology as well as staffing to help you in, in your time of need. And then the last pillar is you know, the technology. There's such great technology out there that can help you become more efficient and more effective with your coding. Sure. Let's, let's
0: break down. Let's start from the top. I want to go over, start with excellence. Everybody says hire the best, but how do you do that? Where are you finding these great people? Uh, so I think the first step is don't be afraid
1: to test them. Right? You, you, people can tell you they're a great coder or they're, do, they're a great employee, but put them through a test that they, that's timed so you can see their scores, and that's the first kind of cut in, a, in the hiring process is can they pass a coding test to apply their skills in a real-world scenario? And then based on that, look at their credentials. What type of credentials are they? What's their history from, are they a profi coder or a hospital coder? And really focus in on the type of coding they're gonna be doing and test them on that. Yeah. So are you testing
0: them before the or during the interview process? Or Yeah. The
1: first step is they can apply. And before we even get an interview, we'll send them a link to a test. Interesting.
0: What, what, have you had a similar experience? You test your...
2: So we have. So a lot of our clients go through that testing process. That's part of the interview process to make sure that they are at the level that they would expect to be. And then I think Pat mentioned something really critical there right expectations is really critical as well so if you expect the best from your folks you usually well they'll 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 achieve that right secondarily I think one of the layers that's really important is supporting them supporting them through training supporting them through understanding of the systems that they'll be they'll have in place and then the communication and the relationships they'll have with their, you know, either uh, alignment with their uh, partners or with the providers as well. Right. So there's a couple of critical steps there that Pat mentioned in this. And I love the platform and the, and the, the six steps that you've, you've articulated. And we'll, get, we'll be getting into some detail there. So,
0: yeah. On the performance side, right, break that down, man. Yeah.
1: So, you know, from a performance of a coder, it's all about accuracy and efficiency. And so what we try to do is is we're doing quality assurance every quarter on every coder and that feed, continuous feedback loop with them on their performance and how they're doing. So when there's good evaluations, they know they're going to be a good evaluation. If there's going to be a poor evaluation, you're not getting a surprise. They're always in the know of how they're doing. And, th- and we do that in order to continue to drive their success and to maybe help them get better go to a different level in coding, maybe to move from an outpatient coder to an inpatient coder. And so we identify that in that performance review process so we can find our shining stars out there and reward them accordingly.
0: Sure. Do you ever find that, like how crucial, I guess, is performance uh, through all this? I would assume it's really high. So. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, from a coding standpoint, the
1: gold standard is 95% accuracy. And so they have to achieve that. There's no there's no question. Whether you're in a facility providing great coding for your facility or you're a vendor, you have to provide top notch quality. And the only way to do that is to QA it and provide them the feedback. You know, I've never really seen anyone wake up in the morning and say they're gonna go to a bad job at work. Right? <laughs> right. you know, they're there to do a good job. They think they're doing a good job, and the only way they know is to tell them. Mm -hmm. And to be transparent, don't hide anything. You should be completely, everything's above board, what what you're doing and relay how how well they're doing and celebrate their successes. Sure, sure, absolutely.
2: And Dave, if I could chime in, I think one of the things there is that transparency, right? And letting them know that they will be evaluated, right? So we have clients who do an audit of the performance every now and again. They do evaluate their coders. It's such an underappreciated role for the most part, right? And I think what Pat's saying there is not only do you evaluate them, but then you position them for success, right? So if you want high performers, you also position them in a place where they will succeed. You don't put someone in a place where you've known through your evaluations that they're not doing well, right? right. That does no good for the individual as well as the organization itself, right? And so that's really critical. And I think it is, it's its is—it's—it's difficult to find high performers in this market, right? very difficult to retain them as well. It's a very competitive landscape right now. And I think transparency, clarity of role, positioning them for success is going to help with the retention of these folks as well.
0: So I do want to touch on retention in a minute, but (laughs) we'll keep going through these pillars because the retention one is an interesting conversation, I think in general, outside of just your guys' industry, but even in the healthcare space or a hospital space. Compliance, you mentioned compliance. Give me that breakdown. You said a lot, so I'm going to have you keep re- re-breaking them down, and I might ask more questions. Compliance was your third. What do you got there? From a
1: compliance standpoint, you know, from, you know, the coders are reviewing documentation and translating it to a diagnosis code or a procedure code. And in order to do that, they have to do it accurately. And if you can't upcode or undercode, And so from a compliance standpoint, you really have a robust auditing system. So you, you know, normally... Uh, we code and I've seen it. We, we audit about 2% of all the charts that are coded. And we're giving them that feedback down to the very granular level so they know any error that they may be making. And so when you do that, then that ultimately doesn't get you in trouble from an audit. Because yeah. ultimately, that's what you want to do is you want to you paint the picture of the patient's health and, the, and all the procedures and, and the treatment that you did there to, to a point. You want to be exactly with that. You don't want to be over or under. And so I think from a compliance standpoint, you can get in trouble if you're not doing that type of audit with coders. Sure, sure. It puts you at risk.
2: Yeah, yeah and, and, I, and I think that compliance is so important. The feedback loop to those individuals is critical because, I, like you said earlier, I don't think anybody wakes up they wanting to do a bad job, right. right? And I do think that that's true. It's usually a habit that forms, right? And so being able to have data behind some of the things that are habitual in terms of performance and being able to show things that we could improve on, I think is really helpful from somebody like myself, right? Yeah. But certainly, I think other people feedback, that feedback loop is really critical for them, too.
1: And I think you, you have formal policies and procedures. You know, you give them the guidelines. You know, they go to school to be a coder. They learn how to do it, but then they have to apply it. And yeah. I think you give them those formal policies and procedures and I hold them accountable to doing it. Right. If they miss a beat, if they miss it, that's not, you know, everyone makes mistakes. You know, yeah. 95% action. What that means is that's five charts of out of every 100 mm-hmm. that there might be an issue. And you want to just continue that feedback to them and make sure that you've saved that compliance program.
2: And when individuals can rely on and trust the fact that we have these support systems in place for them, there's then you develop a trusting relationship, which provides two-way communication, Pat, right? Absolutely. So not only do you provide feedback and keep your organization in compliance with the audits that you do of the individuals, right? But then they're able to give you feedback from the market and things that are happening maybe upstream that you can further address to make it a more efficient process, right? And I think that's when you have a really good relationship amongst not only your compliance team, but the individuals that drive that compliance, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, that fits right in your next pillar, too, on communication, right? I'm assuming is the good communication within your team. But what else would you have to say about it? I think from a
1: communication standpoint, it's very important in the coding world is the communication with the providers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, that documentation we just talked about a little bit ago. You know, the physicians (laughs) went to school to be a physician, (laughs) not to document. And so you have to make sure through a CDI program or some type of program, a clinical documentation improvement program, they're documented accordingly. And when they're not, query them appropriately. So you're always in that constant communication with your physicians, but also the communication with your revenue cycle staff, you know, making sure they're part of that the coding team is part of a steering committee and they're they're always on the forefront of what's going on from a revenue cycle standpoint. So there's a lot of internal communication between the coder and the auditor the coder and their manager or director, the coder and the physician, but then overall at a facility, the whole revenue cycle as a whole, as a whole you have to be in, in, plugged in that as well, for sure.
2: Yeah, and I don't know about you too, but if I'm documenting something, my wife can't read my handwriting, right? <laughs> so imagine somebody else that's not even, that doesn't even know me potentially, right? If the communication doesn't exist, being able to take what I transcribe and put it into some sort of coding that allows a more efficient execution of the process. So that communication Right. That bridge is really critical. Right. It it forms a relationship in terms of like getting an understanding of how a certain provider dictates, what kind of feedback we can provide the provider as well. Right. If it was just codes. Right. You wouldn't have that backup documentation that you truly, truly need when you get feedback from, say, the payers and such. Right. And so I think communication, I stress on this a lot. I'll be honest with you. Pat. Mm -hmm. Communication and relationships and building those with the individuals that are part of the holistic process. Right. Is really, really critical. And I think truly the outcome of success is, is built off of that in my mind.
1: Absolutely. That communication piece, what it ends up doing is it changes kind of a paradigm shift in the physician documentation. Mm-hmm. If they keep hearing it and you're communicating with them over and over again about their charts, they might change their practice and their documentation. So you're not having to hound them again through a query. They're learning how they need to document what they're doing. And so it's just the relate the relationship that you hit on just a minute ago. You know, they they get to know each other. It's not a coder and a no. physician; they're friends. They get to know each other. They can communicate in a relaxed environment to ultimately paint that picture of what ha- what's going on with the patient and yeah. get the accurate reimbursement on the back end.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I think and I'll add a little bit more to that. Right? It's how do you get those relationships formed with new individuals? They get embedded into the process, right? And I do think, and I know what's one of the pillars that we have here that we'll talk about, technology can be a really critical factor in doing that, right? And I I do look forward to talking about that a little bit further, but if we can somehow manage those relationships, the communication in a more efficient manner through the use of not only the old school methods of Mm -hmm. maybe even talking to each other, right? Mm -hmm. Heaven forbid, but the technology aspect of it and allowing an efficient feedback loop there, I think could be critical, critical, critical for any organization. So
0: what about the partners? This one I'm really curious on, actually, because it's the one that is elusive, and I feel like everybody says it to any partners, but why is this a big deal for, for good coding? Uh, give a perfect
1: example is when you're coding and um, go back a couple of years when the flu hit real bad, and the was a bad flu season, and everyone's volume went through the roof. Well, if you don't have enough coders to code all those charts, you're going to get behind. Your discharge not final. Bill is going to get behind. Your cash flow is going to slow down, possibly because you're going to get behind in coding those charts. So if you have a partner in place ahead of time that can help you when you know, someone has had an unexpected illness or a maternity, maternity leave or you know, someone's got to take FMLA for some reason or another and you're down a coder, at that moment, you're in need. If you have to go and vet and find a partner to help you, the, so the, the runway is long to get yeah. that going. And, that, and those charts build up. They don't go away. And so that's one area from a staffing standpoint is partnering to have backup if you need it. Because you know, a lot of people budget the right number of coders for the right number of charts mm-hmm. as if everyone's going to be there 40 hours a week every week. Right? There's holidays, they're there's not, vacation, yeah. they're not. And so you have to have some type of partner to do that. And one way to look at your expenses is have a partner that can step in for you where you're not overstaffed. Because right. you, know, you don't want to be optimally staffed. So that you have the staffing part of it, but also from a technology standpoint is, you know what is the technology out there to help you like, some pre-bill work that helped the coders around getting that optimal reimbursement as a, the electronic queries, you know, things like that, you know, your different technology partners that are out there that can help you.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I don't think any leader out there as they're deciding how to deploy their workforce has not looked at partnerships, right? And if you haven't, you should, right? <laughs> because partnerships are critical. They don't need to be utilized all the time, but you should have them in place in term in times of, need, right? For sure. And then the technology aspect of that partnership is really critical as well because there's such a great amount of data within the codes and within the documentation that if you can analyze that and do some sort of detection of trends or anomalies that are coming up and be able to have that as a feedback loop to your people and then decide whether you can handle those things internally or create partnerships with, with within that, then I think that'll be really great. Right. That would be the way that I would move forward within any organization, but certainly one that's so data intensive, so time critical. Right. And has so many different authoritative figures or authoritative entities providing oversight over your processes. Really, really important. So.
1: Yeah. yeah and one another areas from partnering is kind of a third party auditing. You know, you know, you can have a QA team embedded within your organization that's auditing your coders, but it's always good maybe once a year to get a third party and bring them in and, and, and mm-hmm. audit your
0: charts just to make sure to hold your, hold your auditors accountable. accountable yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's like the kind of the fox watching the hen house in a sense. And then even the risk mitigation standpoint, I, I, I understand it fully. I think that's good. So case in point to reiterate, the partner side, so it's clear, is this idea of having someone check your work mm-hmm. and make sure that if something, God forbid, happens to your employees or you lose one or they're gone, uh, there's someone there to kind of pick up the slack.
2: And Dave, I'd stress here, right, that they're additive to your existing processes and Mm -hmm. procedures right they're not replacing usually partners are Mm -hmm. usually additive to it and so the fear of getting someone's job replaced should go away if you've clearly articulated roles responsibilities and the reason why partnerships exist right so that should calm the fears down even internally you're not taking my job exactly right that would be my biggest worry is oh my gosh you're bringing in a technology or you're bringing in some external firms with resources is my job safe? Sure. And that certainly is something that needs to be squashed and, and communicated across to the, your team to make sure that it's effective and it's used in an effective manner. Well, that's fair. Yeah,
0: Technology is the fun one. That's why we're here. <laughs> I feel like technology is a, a big impact right now healthcare. What's your take on it, right, with the, the definition? Yeah, from a technology
1: standpoint, the way we look at it is we want to use whatever's out there to make us become more efficient. You know, you know, from a query standpoint, mean from a work list standpoint, Putting, uh, rather than them being having coders pull accounts, push accounts to them, where there's always an, the get next to get next. So from a technology, from a workforce standpoint, is making sure they're getting the right number of charts on an hourly basis. But then also looking at, you know, to your point about, you know, am I worried about my drive? You know, computer assisted coding. What is mm-hmm. that going to do in my world? And how do we, how do we train that, that bot to do the, to do the work that we're trying to do? And so all that new technology that we've seen here at HFMA for the last couple of days, how do we inject that into our coding world?
2: Yeah. Technology, Dave, you mentioned it, right? I mean, it is such an impactful piece of any business and has been for the last few decades, but certainly will be over the next few decades as well and it's going to evolve so quickly and rapidly that I think we need to be nimble enough to be able to adjust, right? So everything from, you know, the number of codes that we're dealing with here is in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of codes for any individual to carry around a book that tells you all the codes would be impossible, right? So you have to support your staff and your individual and your coders with a technology that enables them to quickly kind of identify and search and look up and uh, codes, right? Secondarily as they process as coders process claims to billers, right? There is something there that needs to happen as well to make sure that they identify kind of trends, identify any rebuilds that happen, identify anything that gets denied that we can handle up front before it gets out of the organization's, hand, organization's hands, right? And I think technology can be critical there. And I'll reiterate the one thing that I, s- I said earlier. I personally think I love the feedback in terms of uh, trends that we're seeing internally. Uh, anomaly detection that we could we could identify through technology there is so much data and if you don't have a data management kind of thought process or strategy around this i think that's where technology could really be an augmented piece to your current solution that you have internally that's fair. yeah
0: i think it's great that we got these six pillars and i i think we we've covered a lot but i do have one thing i need to ask this crazy work environment where we're there's so much competition. You both mentioned it. You got to keep your staff, have good communication, transparency. We brought up a lot of these things individually as leaders. What do you do to keep your current staff from leaving?
1: A couple different things. Um, one, you know, in the coding world, they were already remote, so you didn't have to worry when COVID hit. You they were already working from remote, remote environment. Um, what we do is we do daily huddles. Everyone's on camera. Everyone has to turn their camera on. So you're trying to get that feel and touch and feel. I get to know you and you get to know me. get to look each other in the eye yeah. every morning to see what's up for the day. Uh, and reward your people. You know, pay them well. It costs a lot more to hire someone than pay someone an extra dollar or two. Right. Right. Reward them. You know, give them good performance reviews. You know, and just the soft things. Send them a letter. Send them what their favorite restaurant is. Send them a gift card. Make, them feel, make your employees feel wanted and needed. Yeah. And then when they do that you know, they may not leave for that extra dollar because I've seen, we've seen plenty of coders and and employees and if will leave to go somewhere else for an extra little bit of money, then try to come back. Right. It's how you're valued. And it's the intangibles that keeps people. Money doesn't keep
0: people. Right. It's the intangibles. I had a leader that I worked with once that said, you're never going to be the highest paid company, but you can make people enjoy their job and they'll stay. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I
2: think that's a very valid point. What about you? Yeah. If I had this answer, you know, I would probably be a billionaire, right? <laughs> exactly. but, but no, we can all give our thoughts. Now, yeah, I, I yeah. truly think the statistics that we see, and we dig into this pretty heavily, Dave, um, I think employees really value flexibility, right? They want to feel part of a team still. And Pat mentioned it. How do you do that in a virtual environment? It's difficult, but there are methods to do that, right? And then they want to be a part of an organization with a sense of purpose, right? That's greater than just of themselves. And I, th- so what I think it goes back to is, Not only hiring the right individuals, but giving them a sense of purpose. It's about defining you yourself as an organization and being true to that. Right. So that might not be a fit for everybody, but for those that it is a fit for, then you have long term kind of sustainable model there. I think you'll have greater loyalty and a greater level of of performance as well from the individuals that that do decide to join the team. Yeah. And so that's where I think we need to really focus in on is organizational definition with a sense of purpose. Yeah. Right. For our folks.
1: Yeah. That's and great. I think that's important. You know, what's your true north? Everyone yeah, right. should know true what north. your true north absolutely. is. Mm-hmm. And if you know that and you know your part in that, then everyone's marketing in the same direction. Yeah. And absolutely. that takes care of your attrition, everyone's on, on the same page.
0: Yeah. That's I feel like that could be a whole podcast in itself. But when oh, you yeah. mentioned yeah. it, I was like, we gotta touch <laughs> on it because it's such a sensitive topic today. Man, I appreciate you guys going over this. I know it was a quick podcast, but thank you guys so much for coming on. And uh, I hope to get you back on soon and talk about some other more passionate topics that we have in healthcare. So thank Sounds you guys, great. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And thank you all so much for listening. Again, I'm David Kozlowski with the RX podcast, powered by Streamline. I'll see you soon.